It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, a man who can polish off a sleeve of Ritz crackers in under two minutes, and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. College coaches all over the country are trying to build better programs. They're trying to do that through getting the right athletes and students on their team. And of course, recruiting those athletes for their student and their team. But then the process really begins for a college coach of developing those athletes, not only into the athletes that you need to win and develop your program, but also as the people that you want them to become to help them do that, but also uh, be good people later in life. And uh, we have somebody in the house that is uh, one of the better people in the country at doing that, Molly Grisham who has spoken at and been a part of our National Collegiate Recruiting Conference before and does great work around the college athletic scene. And we wanted to invite her in to talk about what she sees happening on the, the front of coaches proactively developing their athletes and having a plan to do that. So Molly, welcome. Thanks for being here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Thanks for having me. I always look forward to talking about the stuff I love. So I appreciate this. Yeah, I know. And you're one of my favorite people to listen to and talk to and and you do great work. So just real quickly for the coaches who maybe aren't familiar with you and Molly Grisham, just can you give a little capsule idea of your work on the college athletics scene? I know you do more work beyond college athletics, but you do work with uh, college coaches and teams. So give them a little taste of, of what you do uh, on, on a day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely. So I spent 20 years in higher ed, was a college soccer coach and a communication professor. Uh, most of my work in soccer was in Division II as a head coach mostly, but six years ago, I walked into my athletic director's office and I quit. And she said, oh gosh, who hired you? Where are you going? What are you doing? And I said, I don't know, <laughs> just not this anymore. Mm. And I started my own business. And I knew at that time that a couple of things were kind of unfolding for me. One was, I, I know that the system of college athletics is very broken. And sometimes you have to leave a system and kind of come in in a new role to be able to help make that system better. And I also had a lot of clarity around the idea that so much of what we're doing in athletics is a transferable life skill. And instead of just having 27 young women that I work with every year, could I take it to different industries and different sports and different divisions and different uh, different types of people and really dig into things like leadership development and team building and healthy culture and conflict resolution? And when I look back at my coaching career, one of the things I know for sure is I needed more allies. I needed more people walking with me. I needed that neutral voice who could say like, just go take a nap. <laughs> it's going to be better tomorrow. Or you should go eat. You haven't eaten today. Uh, tomorrow is going to be a better day. And so now I get to walk with coaches through their really good stuff and through their really hard stuff. Uh, and help their teams to navigate some really difficult landscapes right now in college athletics. Sure. Um, so I see myself very much as a guide in this process. And not to get too deep into this little side topic you just brought up, but walking into your athletic director's office and announcing that, and also with under the, the banner of the system is broken. And again, I don't want to get too deep into that, but it probably does relate to the work that you do as well. What What parts of the college athletic system do you view as broken that help that, that needs fixing? Well, I think when you look at college athletics, the people that most directly impact the student athlete experience, which we talk about all the time, the student athlete experience, that's coaches. 
And yet coaches in many ways, their hands are tied. We have administrators who are making decisions that directly impact coaches. And yet coaches are judged on their ability to navigate that system. And so we, we've got to get more coaches back into administration who understand that. We've, we've got so many administrators now that are business people, and we need business people, but we also need people that understand the role that a coach plays in a young person person's life. We need, we need people who understand how a basic rule change can drastically impact how a coach navigates things on a team. Uh, but I really see coaches as being that um, that first responder on a team, they directly impact the student athlete experience. And yet they don't have a voice at the level they should in their athletic departments, in their conferences and nationally. Got it. Got it. And, and again, that's, um, that probably provides some framework for the work that you do and, and trying to lead coaches into areas, maybe that they don't know they need development or help with. And that would certainly be one of them. I guess, as we get into this conversation, the first question that I have is, what are the top two or three mistakes or hurdles that you see coaches not being able to get over or having trouble maneuvering when it relates to bringing in a student athlete and then developing them uh, as people and as the people that they need on their teams to be successful and to win? Yeah, I think one of the first challenges coaches are dealing with is just purely time. Uh, how, how do I fit this into a schedule? How, how do I develop Maybe you have a, a rugby team or an ice hockey team that's got 30 or 40 student athletes on it. And you might have a, an assistant coach or a part-time coach or a graduate assistant, but that is a lot for just a couple of people to carry. So certainly just, just the demands of time would be one piece. I think another piece is we're just seeing student athletes who are coming in with less skills in in the non-Xs and Os and the non-tactical or technical stuff. Some of those uh, things that might fall under the umbrella of emotional intelligence. Some of the interpersonal skills are really deficient right now for student athletes. And, and coaches are having to, to go back and further and further and further to the beginning of how how do you have a conversation with an adult? How do you have a conversation with a teammate? What do we do when these feelings of conflict come up? What happens when we face a little adversity or a little anxiety? And so we're just seeing coaches having to go back to almost the 101 or the remedial type class of developing those, those young people over four years. And, and I don't think four years is enough time to do right. it, uh, but it's a lot. It's a lot for coaches to carry right now. You're touching on that. It's perfect because that is something that I hear all the time, which this is, you know, what you do is not my specialty. Uh, we're, of course, on the recruiting and communication and, and the program development side. And, and you are, too, on the program yeah. development side, especially just a different aspect of it. And I think what I hear coaches saying more often than not is, wow, I can't believe these kids don't know how to do X or they come in here and, you know, to your point, Molly, they're so emotionally um uh, underdeveloped that they have trouble connecting or they'll get offended too easily if a teammate says X or doesn't do Y. And I hear coaches kind of at a loss, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this because they aren't trained counselors. They maybe didn't spend a lot of time studying psychology and, and aren't up to all the nuances of this generation. Um, I guess when you walk in and you're helping coaches or what you just see across that that community group, what is it that they, the coaches are lacking? We talk, we talk about the student athletes lacking some of these skills coming in. Let's go to the other side. What do you see coaches lacking when it comes to relating to that 
problem set that we just talked about, but also how to fix it and how to lead kids through through the process of getting better at some of those things. Yeah, there's two things that come to mind right away, and they're totally fixable. <laughs> That's what kind of gets me excited is, one, coaches need a community where they can talk about these things. And as much as I would love your athletic department to be that community for most coaches, it's not the case. Um, you're all kind of swimming in the same stuff. And unfortunately, there is often jealousy within an athletic right. department. Someone got an assistant coach and you didn't. Someone got a budget raise and you didn't. Right. Um, so creating some intentional spaces where coaches can get together and talk about some of these challenges. Because as I lead coaches through that, the number one thing I hear them saying is, I thought it was just me. I, I thought I was the I thought I was broken. I thought I was the only one dealing with this. And it's just this moment, like all the shoulders on the Zoom call relax. And people say, like, you guys are having a problem with this too. Okay. We're problem solvers as coaches. Let's put our heads together. Let's talk this through. Let's brainstorm and see if we can come up with some solutions. So that number one issue is just the isolation of thinking you're the only one. You've got to have a community. And then again, to my point about administrators, we've got to be able to go to our administrators and say, I need some professional development around this. Can we bring a speaker in around this? Who do you know in your network that can help me with this? It can't just be on the coach to fix this problem. A coach needs a team that's a support team to help them empower them to directly impact student athletes. But if we're looking at coaches and saying, you have to be the sole source of the mental health on your team, We'll never get there. We'll never get there. A coach has got to have a team that's propping them up and supporting them, whether it's a group of peers or whether that's their administrators providing them those opportunities. Uh, you, you mentioned something. You went on the administrator side. So let's go a level up to the admin, to the athletic director within an athletic department. Um, and we talk about the, the deficiencies that coaches have. Uh, let's extend that out one level up to the athletic directors, because if I'm if I'm them, and let's say we're we're tacitly, quietly saying, hey, you know, AD, it's a little bit your fault too. And the athletic director is looking at you and I and saying, wait a minute, I got this meeting, this meeting, I got most of my day doesn't even revolve around athletics. And I got this vice president that's upset and I got to answer this president. So I just don't have time for this, which is what I hear a lot for the coaches is I just don't have time to do all of this. And we get back to that original you know, point of, of um, college athletics being broken um, for the athletic director. Uh, we talk about like the coaches that are, you know, maybe the core idea of what a couple of their, their main issues and hurdles are for the athletic director. What do you find your response is when you go in and say, Hey, here are some things that need to be fixed. Your coaches need help. And you're part of that, that, that offer, you know, that, that, that possibility of, of it, if it all uh, working, What's their response? Or, and I'm sure you get a variety of, of you know, feedback from different athletic directors that yeah. when you approach them with that, that idea. Yeah, I, I would say right now, and I feel like this has come out in the last couple of years, but I am noticing two kinds of leaders <laughs> and, and athletic directors are leaders. So this is certainly the case. There's the one that says, we got to make a change. Mm -hmm. uh, the ship is sinking. We'll do whatever it takes. You, you tell me what the dollar amount is, Molly. We'll go raise the money. We've got some donors. Like We have to make a change. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that are open to a conversation. They're thinking outside the box. When I say, like, here are some problems I'm seeing. Here's some stuff I'm noticing. They say, okay, like we, we don't have the money right now, but give us give us a month. We'll get back to you. And, and, and tell me real quick. And, and tell yeah. me real quick. So 
that, um, you know, I know we need to change, Molly, you're right. What is that change? I mean, it's hard to say this, this applies to every department, but what is a common, for as an example, for a coach listening to this or an athletic director yeah. that might say, oh, that AD is just like me, or I'm not the only athletic director that's feeling this way. Yeah. Give me an example of that, you know, we need X change, Mr. AD, Ms. AD. What is that change? You know, what is that? What, so define that for us. A, a tangible example would be I'm getting more requests to come in and do programming just for freshman student athletes. Because these cutting edge leaders are realizing if we don't get them now, mm -hmm. they're out the door. But before January 1st, they're out right. the door. And we've got to invest in these people really, really early. And we've got to invest in these people early because they see what's not working. And we need to listen to their voices before they become, quote, one of us. We need to hear what, what they're noticing on this campus. Got and it. so those kind of cutting edge leaders are saying, well, what would it look like for you to come in and, and work with all 300 freshmen? And how do we include the coaches in that? And are the coaches in or the coaches out? Like they're having those more innovative conversations. I was working with a school recently that said, if we don't retain the bulk of our freshmen, it it really hits our freshman population on our campus. Right. And yet with just going and getting a a name, image, and likeness deal somewhere else <laughs> is really, really tempting for a lot of these freshmen and the allure that it's going to be better somewhere else. So to me, one of those strategies or one of those thinking outside the box things is when an administrator says, we've never done anything for our freshmen. Mm -hmm. What ideas do you have? Let, let's throw it all up on the wall and see what sticks, right. but we're willing to do that. I, I think the other is thinking outside the box of what does professional development look like for our coaches? Um, and listening to what your coaches are saying, this is a problem. Um, it's showing up on our end of the year student athlete evaluations and you're blaming me. And I'm saying, I don't know how to help them. I don't know what to do. Get us some resources so that we can mitigate this problem uh, rather than waiting to the end of the year to hear that it's an issue with our student athletes. So it is, it's, it's those leaders that are willing to say, we've never done this before. Let's give it a try. Yeah. So um, the way this conversation has gone, we've sort of set it up in an interesting way. So we've identified what the coaches are dealing with, what the athletic directors are dealing with. And you just mentioned it all ties back to the student athletes. And we talked about this generation and some of the things they're lacking, which I think sometimes they get a bad rap. We always focus on the bad parts or the things that maybe aren't the same as um, us old people. But can we define just for the coach listening, because they might feel like they only have I got the bad group of kids that that I just can't communicate with. What define for us sort of or give us a profile of the average student athlete that walks into an athletic department or a team, a coaching staff and a program as a freshman. Yeah. Who is that athlete? Mm -hmm. um, what what's their makeup? What are the things you find are some common things they're trying to deal with? And to the extent that they risk leaving campus at the end of their, you know, January, their first semester um, as a freshman, what, what's going on there? What, what is the reasoning? Yeah. And I think to your point, I, I had this conversation with the coach this weekend, we were talking about kids these days. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, but it's, it's me and my peers that created this generation. So as much as I can point my finger at them and say, they're different, all my friends that have, have high school seniors that are getting ready to go to college, we created this. And, and so there's some ownership on my generation of saying, yeah, we had a voice in what this generation looks like. And now we got to help them be a little bit better. So when I think about the profile of a freshman, 
Uh, very, very much lacking in interpersonal communication skills. And so being able to have a face-to-face conversation is a real challenge for them. Being able to understand that feeling uncomfortable is not the same as being unsafe. And so we have a lot of student athletes, when things get uncomfortable for them, it's immediately, this has to be abuse. Hmm. Nope, mm-hmm. it's, it's not abuse. You just didn't start this game. And I know that's uncomfortable for you. Um, I know your coach had a meeting with you one-on-one and that was uncomfortable, but that's not abuse. And so right. we're having to define some really, really basic terms for them that it's okay to be uncomfortable. That's all a part of growth. That's how we get there. But very much these these incoming student athletes think that uncomfortable and unsafe are the same thing. And I think I notice an overwhelming fear around conflict. And instead of focusing on the resolution part, the good that comes from conflict, it is conflict is bad. Run from this at all costs. Uh, I was with a team this weekend that is very much in the storming stage of their team development. And we had spelled out the stages of team development. And I said, where do you think you are? And they just couldn't say it. They couldn't say it. And finally, one person said, I, I think maybe we're dipping our toe in the storming stage. Uh, and everybody's like, no, that's bad. We can't even say that. We can't even say that. No, it's great. It's part of the process. We're going to move through this. And I often say to teams, friction creates traction. And so if we've got a little friction on our team, boy, that's going to move us forward and move us to a new place. But overwhelmingly, a fear of conflict, that conflict is bad. Coach, did you know that Tudor Collegiate Strategies works with over 750 coaching staffs from all division levels, all sports, from all over the country? It's true. We help them create, manage, and execute their recruiting message for the prospects they really need. And we can do the same for you. Email us at dan at dantutor.com so we can explain how it works. Let's talk, Coach. And now, back to the show. Um, for the for the I'll, I'll stay with the athletes here for a second because we're talking about how do we develop them into the the you know mature more mature student athletes more mature people as they go through their their college experience. Um, what are the ways that coaches can start to do that? And let's, so the scenario is we have a coach that's listening right now. Our you know, our AD isn't hasn't brought Molly in yet, or we don't have any other resources. It's just me. I got to figure this out. What would you tell that coach of, look, you have an incoming class now on campus as we talk here in the fall, so a lot of new coaches, uh, new athletes in those programs, and maybe coaches are starting to notice or feel like, "Uh uh-oh, the the pieces aren't quite meshing together the way I had hoped. What are three things they immediately can start doing that kind of solve or start to solve the problem, at least if I either identifying the problem or actually start working towards fixing that that issue and and removing that problem? creating the good kind of friction you just talked about. Yeah, right. So a couple of thoughts come to mind right away. One is in the recruiting process, we have to be thinking about uh, how do I assess this person as a leader? How do I assess this person as a communicator? How do I assess this person in terms of their body language? And it's interesting to me when I talk to coaches, how did you assess this? Oh gosh, they're great with their left foot. Uh, They've got a great jump shot. It's all technical. Great. But you said you graduated all your leaders and you're frustrated that you don't have anyone emerging as a leader. Was that on your recruiting matrix at all to think about leadership development? 
was communication on your recruiting matrix. And so before they even get on campus, we have to be recruiting with that stuff in mind. There's no way we can recruit an entire class that has no leaders and then think by the time they're seniors, they're going to be leaders. It's just not going to happen. And so we've got to build that into our recruiting matrix. The second thing I would say is we have to have incredible clarity as a coach of what our values are and our values have to be non-negotiables just absolutely rock solid. This is what I believe in and this is what I stand for because it's going to give us clarity on who we can say yes and no to in our program. And the reality is most kids are going to have a hard time at some point, like whether it's their freshman year or their junior year or senior night, they're going to have a hard time. But if we have some shared values, we, we can usually navigate that. But if we're butting heads on our values, we're in trouble. The third thing I would say is we have to do a better job of teaching coaches to do what I would call building out a framework to teach a specific concept to your team. We have to be able, and and what I love about frameworks to me is we're deconstructing a big concept. We're breaking it down into really, really small pieces and then reconstructing that again. So it's deconstruction to reconstruction. And a lot of coaches struggle with that. And and the thing that I want them to understand is you are able to do this on the field or on the courts or on the track. You deconstruct abstract concepts all the time. Now you got to apply that same reality to teaching leadership, to teaching teamwork, to teaching communication skills. And it's doable. It's very Mm -hmm. doable. I've got free resources I'm glad to share with your listeners. But coaches have to have some frameworks. And the other reason I would add that is it creates some common language on your team. Uh, everybody, you hear the seniors using the same words as the freshmen because you have this consistency in the frameworks that you use to teach different things on your team. Uh, and that's critical. It's really critical. Um, you talk about just the, the idea of uh, a coach coming in and and really, you know, you use the term deconstruct to reconstruct. Um, you know, in a coach, again, listening to this, who might want to uh, begin proactively doing that. Um, I, I guess I think the challenge for most coaches, if they hear that, is that they might think, well, that's sort of big picture, theoretical, um, and man, I need help now. I need to do this now. So I, I guess I'm, again, just wondering on behalf of a coach, because I, I know the question that's going through their mind is, okay, how do I do that? So Take, for instance, the idea that I brought in this great player and you sort of set up this scenario. I bring in this great student athlete. I think she's going to do fantastic. Um, Or he came from a great program. He should just know how to win or how to lead. And I need a leader. How does a coach, what's the most practical way for a coach to teach leadership? Or let's take leadership out of it. And it's teaching cohesiveness that, you know, if you're an athlete, you're not going to get a lot of playing time right away. We still want you on the team. And I need to now teach you how to how to be that kind of an athlete, because a lot of kids are coming in and they were the stars of their team. And now they're having to wait a year to get a lot of playing time. Is there a formula or a set of steps that coaches can take to begin to, um, you know, like you pointed out or you phrased it, to build that framework of teaching that to their team? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is the reason it's so exhausting for coaches is because we don't have it right now. So we are the primary leader on our team. We're having to solve every interpersonal conflict. We're having to solve every bit of drama. We're having to be the leaders on our team. And that's why it's exhausting. 
And, and I think it's really important to name that for coaches. Um, the reason you're tired is because your leaders aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. The reason you're tired is you're having to solve the conflicts and your team leaders should be taking that, taking care of that for you. And at, when I share that with coaches, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes total sense. No wonder I need to develop them as people because I don't want to do this long term. I cannot sustain this. I do not want uh, to be the sole leader on my team. And so many coaches are having to do that right now. They are every single conflict they get pulled into. And on a healthy, high-performing team, that's not the case. Your leaders are taking care of that. Well, I would I would phrase it this way. Your leaders are driving the process, but the two team members that are involved in the conflict are actually resolving it themselves. And they may need some support and they may need some mentorship, but you are not having to do that over and over and over again. That is why it's exhausting. And I... I hope that you have some coaches that are listening right now that just went like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> well, and, and, I, I am that person. Yeah, and, and what you you I, so what you just said makes sense that that coaches don't want to be fighting the same battle all four years of a student athlete's career, and yet we know that that's just common because we're a bunch of humans in a tight space competing with each other and all the different personalities and clicks and things that develop on a team just naturally. Yep. So again, what you're talking about is building that framework for how to manage that chaos. So the chaos is going to be there no matter what, because human nature, but right. now it's building that framework um, out and, uh, and, and getting the, um, you know, getting that in place. And I should mention too, because you mentioned resources that you offer. Um, oh. We will provide on the show notes, a lot of different links to Molly's resources and things that coaches can access to maybe start solving some of these issues. Um, and uh, so I just wanted to mention that, that, you know, coach, if you're listening to this, haven't looked at the show notes yet, go, there's gonna be some links and and we'll, um, uh, we'll include those. I, for, for, let's flip it around now, the high performing teams that you have gone from chaos to more of this frameworks so are beginning to the end um, that you've been able to witness and, and kind of observe or work with directly yeah. What are the things that um, that were the key to that? Like, what are the key moments that if a coach is going to start going through this and take some ownership about developing their, especially their freshmen, but then continuing that on through four years, what are the things that they can look forward to happening or some key sort of benchmarks to look for in that, that they would say they'd be, they could get the idea that, okay, we're headed in the right direction here. Yeah. So I'll give you a really tangible example of a framework that I use with a lot of my clients, and it's called the drama triangle. And I I did not create this. A, psycholo a psychologist created this, but I apply it in athletics. And it talks about the fact that when we have unhealthy conflict, we tend to have someone who sees themselves as a victim. Um, what's interesting about a drama triangle is they're not actually a victim, but it's how they see themselves. And every victim needs an oppressor and every victim needs a hero. And so what often happens in college athletics is a student athlete sees themselves as a victim. They name their coaches the oppressor and they call their parents <laughs> to be their rescuer. <laughs> right. And so I've shared this with lots of teams and I hear them using that language and kind of building awareness about how we can be healthier and not function in a drama triangle. And one of the coaches that I work with on a very regular basis called and she's like, you will not believe what just happened, which is how a lot of my phone calls with coaches start. And she said, we had a player who just came in. She's an upperclassman. She's a key leader on our team. And she said, coach, 
Ugh, this one freshman, she's driving us nuts. She doesn't she doesn't help with the gear. Her locker's a mess. She's not holding up our standards. She's just sucking the life out of all of us. Like, coach, you have to do something. And the coach just kind of nodded and said, what I hear you saying is um, that you're the victim in this situation and, and you need me to be your hero. And the coach wasn't being sarcastic. She was stating a fact. Right. And immediately this player said, oh my gosh, this is a drama triangle. No, no, coach. No, I will take care of this. Give me some advice. Give me some wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, let's map this out. But I'm I'm going to take care of this because, Coach, I don't need you to be my hero. I'm 22 years old and I can do this myself. And so when we have these frameworks, it's an easy way to bring something us up. It brings us back to a teaching point. All this coach had to say is, ah, I, I hear that you're the victim and you need me to be the hero. No lecture was needed. No workshop was needed. No handbook was needed. Immediately that player knew we're right back in a drama triangle and I'm going to make a different choice. And so that's the kind of stuff you can look forward to that this senior came in a couple of days later and said, coach, we had a meeting with her. Everything's resolved. We didn't realize what was going on in her personal life. We're going to support her a little bit better. She's going to give a little bit more. We're good to go. Mm. That's where you want to be as a coach. No question about it. So for coaches that are struggling with just the drama, the chaos that we've been talking about, are there, uh, I was going to ask, are there two or three things they are doing, but maybe the better way to ask is, are there two or three things that are absent from, even if it's not a defined framework, just their natural operational framework that is causing or would be more apt to cause um, things to spin out of control? So again, I think a lot of coaches again, listening to this or thinking, look, I'm just not that person. I'm not the psychologist. I didn't get trained in counseling, team building. I'm a good coach and I want to coach, but now you're talking about all this stuff that I just never bargained on having to, to learn. So maybe help them identify three areas or two areas that are very common based on your work with college athletic departments and programs that, okay, if, if these things are absent, here's going to you know it's going to be some negative consequences to this yes. or if two or three things are happening here's the negative consequence and i would love just that insight for a coach listening to, that they could listen and measure what maybe or maybe not be going on in their program how can coaches design and build a better story through social media and the website recruiting page they send their prospects to by working with preseason Their team of experts are helping coaches break through the clutter and reach their recruits in a way their competition just can't match. Go to HelloPreseason.com to see how their team of experts are helping college programs tell a better story and build a better program. Yeah, so I think there's two things that can just become a big void within your program. And the first is, and we've touched on this already, uh, so many coaches feel like they have to solve it alone. Like I created this problem. I have to solve this problem. You didn't create the problem. We're we're all swimming in this. And so if coaches don't have a community of their own peers that they can go to and say, anybody else having this happen? How have you navigated this? Uh, We have too many coaches who think they have to recreate the wheel and you don't have to. Like there are thousands of coaches dealing with the exact same issues as you. And we can put our heads together and come up with some solutions. So uh, number one, when you start to feel like as a coach, I, I must be the only one who's ever had this happen. No, you, you're not. They're just, they're all around you. But we're not talking about that because as coaches, 
we do blame ourselves. Like, this is my job. I'm supposed to get this team here. So that's on me. I'm not going to admit to other people that my team is struggling there. So coaches have got to have a community of support. Second thing I think we miss, and, and this is probably one of my natural gifts. And when I do this for coaches, they're like, how did I not see it? But we have to name things appropriately. And what often happens, like with a drama triangle, we just say, our team can't communicate. They can't get along. They don't like each other. Well, where do you even start with that? That's just a lot of abstractness. But when we can say to a team, I think we have a drama triangle. We're, we're laser focused at that point. We can narrow that down and be really specific. So we've got to do a better job. Like a- another example, I often say to teams, teams don't grow apart. They die apart. People usually go like, wait, what What did you just say? Um, and I say that because coaches will call me sometimes and say like, ah, we're just in a tough spot. We're just growing apart right now. And I'm like, oh, no, you're not actually growing apart. You're dying. Does that change how you feel? And they're like, totally changes how I feel. <laughs> like my team needs CPR if we're dying. Because I'll say growth is healthy. Growth is good. So you're not growing apart because being apart is not healthy. And so we have to do a better job of naming things for what they are. The challenge is when you're in the eye of the storm, you can't see that very clearly. And so again, you need those neutral voices that can say, I think you're I think you're dealing with a drama triangle. I think you're dealing with fill in the blank. And then immediately that light bulb goes yeah. on and we know how we can respond in that moment. It's part of the issue too, just coaches have a lot of pride and they have a lot of ego. And even at small colleges or non, you know, uh, yeah. primetime sports and I, what I have found too in our work with recruiting, sometimes coaches are hesitant to say, oh, "I need help in this area," or "or in your area, I need help with the team building." Um, it seems like what you're saying is that we're we're sort of past the era of a coach being an island that, you know, look, it's my way or the highway, and I'm just going to yell louder to get the results that I want. And look, there was a generation where that worked before, but I don't see that as this generation, yeah. and so really what you were, as I hear you talk, it seems like even coaches who don't want to do this or don't feel like, or maybe complain like, why am I having to do this? I know I have to, I don't want to, I'm not good at it. That it's become sort of an integral part of the job that is, you're not going to be successful if you, if you don't know how to kind of carry forward and do the non X's and O's stuff that requires, you know, is required to build a, a program winner. Am I getting that right? Yes, absolutely. I think there are a few old school coaches left who are going to hold on to it for as long as they can. I think we've turned a corner and the expectation now is that we integrate our student athletes into a program. They have a voice in the program. We treat them as people before players. There is a massive shift that has happened. Uh, And again, a little bit like I mentioned earlier, the coaches that I work with want help. Uh, every once in a while, someone will say to me, how do you deal with a coach that just doesn't want to work with you? And I'm like, that they don't call me. I, I don't work with those people. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, much here. like you, I, I, right? You yeah. understand that if, if people are calling you, it's because they want to be better at something. But I'm seeing more and more and more coaches say, I fought this and I can't fight it anymore. I need somebody who can come in and, and help me with yeah. this. And the only observation I would make, and not to, it doesn't really counter what you just said, is that a lot of times it's the older coaches, I say older, the more veteran, you know, 10 plus years, they've been in the business. 
um, they have sort of been stripped away of that ego and the pride because so many things have hit them in the business. They're on their third program in 10 years or 12 years. And, and those are the ones sometimes that come a little humbled and say, okay, I know now I don't know it. And what I see is a lot of the younger coaches coming in and they're almost um, uh, not scared, but they're, it's like, I don't want to admit I have a weakness because they might fire me or they might, I, the jig is up and I'm, they were going to realize I don't know everything that I, you know, said I did in the interview. Um, so sometimes it's the, actually the older coaches that approach this a little more maturely or humbly that, Hey, I need this help. I realize I can't do X. Um, so I just, you know, just as you were saying that, I was thinking, I hear a lot of younger coaches actually, you know, having the issue with, with not going to, yep to get additional help. I, yeah, I agree. And and I think part of that may be they didn't see their coaches getting help. Mm-hmm. And so the more yeah. we can normalize that of coaches having a support group, coaches having consultants, coaches having coaches, then all of a sudden we normalize that for the younger coaches that are going to move up through the ranks. So last question or two, just to sort of put a wrap on this. And again, if you're listening, I encourage you to reach out and, and go to Molly's resources and we'll put all those on the, in the show notes. Um, even if it's just to talk and to tell her your situation and, and see if there's something that could be a solution, but, um, it's a great resource. And so just, um, and you should follow her on social media, Instagram too. She's great. Uh, but I guess, you know, it, Again, in terms of moving forward, hopefully we've made the case to coaches that this is a part of your job, right. that it's going to be something that's going to be with you for the the next several you know years of of each team or each you know four year sets of kids that that come on through um, the, uh, the the program that you're coaching. So for those coaches, uh, we talked about how to get started. How do they engage? And we talked about you know going off campus you know for resources. Mm-hmm. How does that coach go to their athletic director and and talk about some of these things? Because it's a, a lot of it does tend to stay within a program where you want to feel like I don't want to do something outside my administrator's view. I want to let them know here's what I'm either dealing with, struggling with, or that's going on in our program. And the value of doing that proactively versus a parent calling the athletic director after the end of the year and say, hey, this is a horrible experience. Here's what was going on all year. And then that coach gets called into the office. Right. Can you give offer some suggestions about how that they can go to their uh, their administrator, the athletic director, or even like again their head coach? Maybe they're an assistant coach yeah. listening yeah. to this. Whoever's ahead of them or above them, and wrap them into, hey, we need to talk. We need to solve this problem because sometimes that that is intimidating to do that within your own sort of right. ecosystem on campus. Right. Because the first question is, well, why do you have this problem? Right. I hired you. I hired you to take care of that problem. Right, exactly. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. So I think most administrators understand this is they're in the financial space and they want teams that win, which allow them to get sponsors and donors and alumni involved. And And, and also, Molly, again, not to jump, sorry for jumping in, but for the non-football, non-basketball coaches, that athletic director is probably saying to them, hey, look, I got football and basketball to deal with. I don't need the you know softball team the rugby team the the swim team to bring you i don't want those issues coach you take care of it so there's that intimidation factor too so yeah and and i heard that as a coach i i had an athletic director who who said to me as long as i don't hear complaints you'll have a job (laughs) i was like wow well there's the bar (laughs) okay all right well 
Okay. So I, the thing that I, I would say as a coach is, Hey, I really want to win here. And I realize that if we win here, it helps everybody. Um, we elevate every program around us. Our alumni get involved, donors get involved, sponsorships, if we can win. But I can't win. I can't teach the X's and O's when the vast majority of my time is micromanaging my team because they don't have the skills to stand on their own two feet. But if we can get some resources to develop them as people where they can solve their own problems, build their own relationships, understand how to communicate with me, then that frees me up to teach the game at a really, really high level. And until that happens, we're having to put all of our energy as a coaching staff into micromanaging interpersonal relationships on this team, which means we have less time for the X's and O's of the game, and we're not going to win. And if you tend to put it in that language and help them understand, this is something that's fixable. Like we've got to develop them as people so they can own this program so we can go out and win games. They tend to have a little bit more open mindset about that. Yeah. So Molly, first of all, thank you for lending just some some voice to this and some ideas about what you're seeing. And how I want to end it is, can you give sort of a wrap up like the light at the end of the tunnel, because you've been through this process and you've seen coaches that have done what you've talked about doing and they have seen those changes and all of a sudden the problems do get more manageable and they, you know, the stress level for coaches go down. Um, so give them the light at the end of the tunnel that whether it's through you or through just, yeah. um, you know, again, developing these frameworks on their own, that this can be fixed. It's not as something that is, is doomed to, you know, um, to plague you for the rest of your career as a yeah. coach. Yeah, it it's such a joy for me to get to walk into a situation where a coach feels hopeless and we fast forward six or eight or 12 months and they're happy again. They, they are enjoying what they love. And for me, most coaches, what they love is that relationship with their student athletes and sharing the game that they love with these student athletes. And so I'm well aware developing people is really hard. Developing a group of people is even harder but the hardest is to try to do it without some sort of process. And so if I can be a part of that process of saying like, let's map this out of what the development of your players is going to look like over the next six or eight or 12 months, um, that's a joy for me because the work that coaches are doing, I, it matters. It absolutely matters. And for those of us that have been in sports for a long time, like our heroes, our mentors, the people we love and respect, we're our coaches. And so we we just have to, I don't think coaches can overhear that. I think we need to continue to remind coaches your work matters and it doesn't have to be this way. It does not have to be this way. We can get to a healthier place. You just may need some outside resources to get there. College Recruiting Weekly is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2023 and 2024. To contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com. Also, remember to rate and review our podcast right now. Plus, tell your fellow coaches about the show. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.